Hey everybody, thanks for stopping by. I'm your host, Michael Shahan, and the next episode of Shahanisms is about to begin. Hey everybody, welcome to Shahanisms. We are broadcasting from an undisclosed location in the desert southwest. I've always wanted to say that. I don't know why. So how many of you think there's such a thing as an accident? Let's see a show of hands. My hand isn't raised. My production staff isn't raising their hands either, but they're cats. I guess they can't really raise their hands. And they're both asleep on my desk. They're not even paying attention. They don't care. Would it surprise you if I told you there was no such thing as an accident? Do you believe that things happen accidentally? Well, to some extent, in some isolated cases, I guess accidents do happen. Tragic things happen randomly. Someone might be struck with a stray bullet shot from a gun several blocks away. The victim may have been accidentally hit because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But someone fired that gun intentionally. Maybe not with the intent of striking somebody, but it was not an unintentional act, shooting the gun. In this episode, we're going to talk about a single thought. Something I never thought I would ever think about. A shahanism. How does live ammunition end up on a movie set? A place where everything is an illusion. Guns are used as props. Everything is scripted. Nothing is real in the true sense of the word. It did end up there. And it wasn't an accident. So more than who brought it, who did it, we're going to talk about the process that allows something like that to actually happen. The human element of something that occurs that allows a situation to unfold uncontrolled and unchecked. So recently, tragic events on the set of a movie in production, it's called Rust, that's the name of the movie, was classified as a tragic accident. And it got me thinking about how we end up calling everything an accident. Everything is called an accident. This was accidental, that was accidental. We watch movies and shows for entertainment without even thinking about special effects, gun battles, or how they happen, or what all goes into that process. We enjoy the action and not think past how they take place. We're not supposed to think about that. We're just supposed to enjoy the movie. We're not going to talk about the criminal aspect of what happened either. That's for the authorities and probably the courts and teams of lawyers to hash out. None of us have the qualification, information, or evidence to really intelligently speak to that part of the situation. Beyond, I don't know, speculation and innuendos, and we're not going to go there. My questions involve the failures in the process that allowed the live ammunition to end up in a gun used as a prop for filming a movie. But before we can look at that, we need to talk about accidents, though, because they're tied together. For years... Basically, our entire life, we've accepted unintentional injuries as an unavoidable reality. And the truth is, there's no such thing as an accident, yet unintentional injuries are the third leading cause of death in the United States. Collectively, there's been a failure to prioritize safety at work and at home and on the road. It's just one of those things. And sometimes that failure to prioritize causes death. But those deaths are not accidental. So back to the tragic death on the movie set. That live ammunition wasn't accidentally brought onto the movie set or accidentally put into the gun 
or the gun was not accidentally not checked for safety before being handed to the person involved in filming a specific scene using that gun. None of it was accidental, yet it's called a tragic accident. Tragedy? Oh yeah, for sure. A horrible tragedy. But there's nothing accidental about cutting corners, failing to follow safety protocols, and neglecting to properly inspect and handle guns and ammunition in the work setting, especially where there's other people's lives involved. Calling something an accident implies that it happened randomly, by chance, and there's nothing anyone could have done to prevent it. It's kind of a way of linguistically shrugging our shoulders and negating responsibility, and we've all been conditioned to classify things as accidents our entire lives, since childhood. I accidentally broke the cookie jar, Mom. No, you were crawling around on the counter, and you weren't supposed to be up there. I didn't make it to the bathroom in time and had an accident. Nope, I was playing with my friends, and I didn't want to come in and use the bathroom when I should have wasn't an accident. Somebody accidentally hits a pole in the middle of a parking lot. Definitely not an accident. They weren't paying attention to where they were going. Simple as that. Nothing accidental about it. When I was a firefighter, I saw many things that were classified as accidents that weren't. And sometimes it troubled me. I accidentally left food on the stove and it burned the house down. I accidentally hit the pedestrian crossing the street. The gun accidentally discharged. I accidentally spilled gasoline in the garage and the gas water heater blew the place up. The list of non-accidents goes on and on. There was one single event, though, that changed my thought process on accidents, and unfortunately it stands out in my mind to this very day. That one call for service was a turning point for me that changed my definition of an accident forever. On July 4th, 1982... Our engine was dispatched to a drowning in a swimming pool at a private residence. There were two patients at the bottom of the pool, both three years old. They were twins. They were both deceased. We pulled them from the pool, transported them to the hospital, took life-saving measures, and we went on the rest of our shift with heavy hearts after we dropped them off at the hospital. About a month later, we're called to testify at a coroner's inquest. The official cause of death was ruled an accidental drowning. Now, there was no fencing around the pool. The back patio door was left open and unsecured, and the parents had obviously diverted their attention elsewhere, someplace other than the children. Now, the parents had been through hell. There was no obvious intent to do harm to the children, but the classification of accident had a smell to it, a misclassification of death. It was more accurately an unintentional death, but other than cases of assault, homicide, or suicide, all deaths are unexpected and unintentional. It was ruled an accident, and if somebody subscribes to the definition of an accident, that an accident happens randomly, by chance, and there's nothing anyone could do to prevent it, the classification of this particular incident is wholly inaccurate. That's probably why the terminology used to describe what happened on the movie set of Rust struck a chord with me. I smelled that smell again after all these years. Was it preventable? Absolutely, in more ways than one. Was it random, like an airplane getting caught in a downdraft and falling on a house? Not even close. 
Did it happen by chance? No. A series of failures in a system of checks and balances and common sense caused the end result, somebody's death. All overlooked by a person. Actually, more than one person by all accounts. So it was, it was overlooked by several people. That sounds like kind of like the opening argument for a criminal or civil trial, doesn't it? I'm not a lawyer. I'm not even a YouTube lawyer. But as I said, we're not going to go there. That's not the purpose of this episode. So, we're going to take a short break and do some business, but stick around. When we come back, we're going to talk about the bullet making its way onto a movie set in the first place. The impetus for that tragedy. So, don't go away. We're going to be right back. Have you ever started cooking a meal and realized you were missing an ingredient? You look at the clock and realize you don't have time to make a trip to the store, finish setting up the table, and finish dinner? Yeah, we've all been there. If you use Instacart, you can keep on schedule. You can get that missing ingredient and not have to stress because you can place your order online and Instacart will deliver it right to your door, sometimes as fast as an hour. Cooking can be stressful sometimes, but shopping for groceries shouldn't be. Get Instacart today and take back control of your grocery shopping. You can shop multiple stores in a single order, you can see deals in your area to help you save money, and Instacart can even highlight those deals in your area to help you save money as well. As a special offer to our listeners, your first delivery is free on orders over $35. Just follow the link in the show notes and let Instacart know that we sent you, and it'll also help support the show. Instacart. Never set foot in a grocery store again. Alrighty, we're back. Thanks for staying with us. I appreciate it. Got to take care of the business. Got to pay the bills. So how could this whole tragedy have been prevented? Well, for starters, don't bring live ammunition to a place where it's not allowed in the first place. That's simple. That would have been the simplest solution. Don't bring live ammunition to a place where it's not allowed. A more complex explanation is getting people with different values and attention spans to do their jobs completely and accurately. That's a little bit more complex. Oh yeah, everybody who works with other people just shook their heads and muttered under their breath, good luck with that one. The co-worker factor. A real problem when somebody decides that it's okay, or that's not going to happen here, or nothing will go wrong. Or the person who says, I've done this a hundred times, so everybody else thinks that person has done what they're supposed to do, and they find out the hard way they didn't. When a safety issue's been neglected, lives can change. Bad things can happen, up to and including death and unintentional injuries. It's a fact. That's the first phase, complacency, neglect, oversight. And sometimes malicious intent a criminal classification that's easier to speculate on than it is to prove. Was that bullet intentionally placed in the gun by a disgruntled co-worker to disrupt production? After all, they were in the midst of a labor dispute about safety protocols on that set. Maybe, maybe not. The second phase is lack of accountability or responsibility. We've all heard that too. I thought the other guy checked that. Why didn't they make sure it was safe? How did that happen? It wasn't my job to check for safety. Someone else was supposed to do that. We've all heard that before. 
So this topic interested me enough to do a little research. I'm not an expert, but I do know a thing or two about guns. Aside from all the protocols on a movie set for handling guns, the most basic concept of gun safety is that you don't point a gun at anyone. If you don't point a gun at anyone, nobody can get shot. Pretty simple. It's not rocket science, yet it seems to happen a lot. So from the time I was able to go hunting with my grandfather, I was taught each and every time I had a gun in my hands to not point it at anything I didn't want to shoot. Whether you think it's empty or loaded, never pointed at anybody. It was drilled into my brain at a young age. I was told over and over and over, don't point a gun at anyone. Then when you go through firearms training in law enforcement, you're taught not to draw or point your weapon unless your intent is to discharge it to protect yourself or others. That's kind of simple, but it can be complex when you have to deal with stuff in a split second. We're not going to go into that here either. There's no shooting a gun to scare an intruder or wound them. That only happens in the movies. You're either in a non-defensible stance with a weapon or a defensible stance. Shoot or don't shoot. Plain and simple. So as I said, I'm not an expert, but I know there are highly qualified people and skilled people who produce and set up movies for scenes for movies. They're experts on angles and choreographing those angles so it can look like an actor's aiming at an object, but through carefully staged angles, the cinematographers, directors, and special effects people can create whatever illusion they need to for a specific scene. I do know that. So what happens then if you're using the proper angle, under proper direction, and the gun goes off? It's just a bang. Nobody gets hurt if everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. Nobody gets hit with a wad cutter from a blank round, which, by the way, can injure somebody if they're too close because nobody involved in the, is in the line of fire of that prop gun. And yes, the ammo doesn't have to be live to hurt somebody. Blank rounds can hurt people. So let's look past positioning for a minute. The common sense act of not pointing a gun at anybody and talk about people doing their jobs or not doing their jobs. This is where things get a little sketchy and scary if you have coworkers and your workplace is in a dangerous or potentially dangerous environment because this not only applies to guns, it kind of covers everything dangerous. In every work environment where there are guns or any type of guns, prop guns, regular guns, real guns, any kind of gun, there's a person called an armorer. In law enforcement, they're sometimes called range masters. They're responsible for the safety of individuals and the weapons on a firing range. They maintain those weapons to manufacture specifications, and they do firearms training. They're responsible for the safety of people, weapons, and ammunition. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's their job. In law enforcement and in the military, the armorers are generally some of the most senior people, highly skilled, specially trained. They generally have some sort of rank within their field of operation. It's a skilled position with a lot of responsibility, and it's not taken lightly. There's been some speculation about the armorer's qualifications on that movie set, and that's not something we are qualified to determine. We don't have access to the information, the training records, the history, the professional data required to make that determination. We do have the ability to determine that regardless of qualifications, regardless of that person's qualifications, the person who had the responsibility for control of weapons and ammo on that day, at that moment in time, 
didn't do their job, regardless of their qualifications. Regardless of whether the ammunition made its way to the gun unintentionally or if it was placed there on purpose, the last line of defense failed and several lines of defense failed along the way. It's the result of people not doing their jobs. You've heard me talk about it before. The human element of any equation is the weakest link sometimes, and it's not until something bad happens that we all realize there was a problem. So making new rules and policies won't change a thing until you get rid of the people who think the rules and the policies don't apply to them, and that, my friends, is the answer to the question we started the show off with. How did live rounds of ammunition get on a movie set? Because someone decided the rules already in place didn't apply to them and decided to bend or break the rules with a total disregard for everyone else involved in the process, except one of them died. And it wasn't an accident. Because there's no such thing. Y'all have a good rest of the week. Thanks for stopping by. Well, that's it for today's episode, everybody. I'm your host, Michael Shahan, and you've been listening to Shahanisms. If you liked today's episode, pass it along to a friend. If you didn't, just send it to somebody you hate. Either way, thanks for listening. Y'all have a good rest of the week. I'll see you next time.